All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the We're Talking Football podcast. I'm Weston. With me, as always, is my right-hand man, Lou. Lou, I've missed you, buddy. It's been a long time since I've been able to say, all right, all right, all right, to, to I, kick us off. I, I miss those uh, beautiful uh, blue eyes of yours. It's been quite some time. Are they blue? They're blue. They are beautiful, blue. Uh, um, yeah, they're like uh, ocean. Fat them they're, for you. Yeah, they're uh, bungalow blue eyes over there. <laughs> <laughs> I refer to them as sexy blue, um, but I'll settle for bungalow blue. But can you believe it's actually been over a month since we last got on the mic? I know. I, I you know it's. Uh, I forgot how to like set up everything. It's been a shit show this afternoon and uh, over this this evening, to be honest with you. So. Uh, Looking forward. This is like our. I feel like this is kind of like a our stretch before the workout, like before Hell. we start getting into you know light stretch, guys. You know nothing too crazy, nothing too you know, you know uh, insane here. So just, this is just for us to get back on the horse here. Let's break a sweat, knock off the rust. I think you and I would both agree that after everything we put forth in in during free agency and throughout the draft, uh, a break was needed and required. But I didn't necessarily expect it to be this long. It's just sometimes the personal life gets in front uh, in front of the hobby, if you will. But we are back at it. Let's go ahead and knock off that rust. Let's spend some time covering our favorite subjects, our respective teams, of course, the 49ers and the Chargers. Love to just kind of go ahead and recap slash discuss their offseason. Let's call it wins, losses, additions, subtractions what we liked, what we didn't like, um, basically what took place for the team. So Lou, I'm going to do, I'm going to give you the honors. Like I, I typically do. I'd love to, if you're comfortable, begin with the Los Angeles chargers and kind of let me get your sentiment around your off season recap for your squad. You know, uh, I just wasn't a big fan of how, um, you know, passive they were. Uh, they were this off season. <laughs> I can't even. Fuck, I can't even a, you can't even fake that. I can't even fish. Okay, so all, an all can inside. Uh, this is probably. I was really thought about this. I feel like this is the, the time, that I'm the most excited for any Charger team in a long, long time. Maybe back, uh, you know, in the heyday when Rivers and uh, LT were at their prime and what have you. But this has been one of the most fun, most exciting offseason, logical, logical offseason, uh, and complete, to be honest with you, uh, that the Chargers have really put together in quite some time. I'm going to say greater than 10 years. And it's been refreshing. And I still feel like, you know, as, you know, as a Chargers fan, that I'm still dumbfounded and can't believe some of the things they've done. Uh, they brought in ridiculous talent. Not only that, they they brought in talent before in the past, but usually from a coupon standpoint, you know, uh, of you know the cheaper variety. But not only that, they've actually brought in adequate depth, which is huge because the, I've always made this joke or this reference or this metaphor, whatever you want to call it. Everyone talks how great this Chargers team has always been, but I always felt like they built their team like I build my Madden teams. A shitload of stars in the front end, and there's literally no one to come off the bench. So I just turned the fatigue off. I turned the injuries off, and I felt like the Chargers thought they could do the same thing you know, the last six, seven years, and I really feel like they've done a really good job building up a lot of versatility, a lot of depth, and good for them. Kudos for them. This is something that I'm not accustomed to, and I'm still – 
little skeptical that is this really happening? All right. So I'm going to cut you off for one second and I don't mean to derail your thoughts here, but I'm going to pick at you for a moment. You know what? I'll I'll let you talk about these individually and what it like means for the team, but like, let's quickly re just recap some of these things, right? Khalil Mack, JC Jackson, Sebastian Joseph day, Austin Johnson, Kyle Van Noy. And yet, and this is, Oh, let's not forget about Bryce, Bryce Callahan too. Yeah. Uh, And real quick, I know you're getting to a point, but, and this is what I want to talk about. Of those people um, that you just mentioned, of those players you just mentioned, 60% of those defensive players, they've had experience in Brandon Staley's scheme before, which is huge. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, this is the changing of the guard. Go get the people that know what they're doing, right? Like, it, it accelerates the learning curve. But this is where you annoy me, and I'm going to say this. And I say this, like, slightly jealously. I have to, as a follower of yours on Twitter, oh, I have to, I have to see you constantly be like, "We still need to do this. We still need to do that." And I look at what you did, and I'm like, "Ain't that enough? Like, can we stop here? You know?" And it's like the rich get richer, the greedy get greedier, and I'm just like, "Tone it down a mother effing minute here," because most teams. I start. I led with Khalil Mack. So let's say Khalil Mack or J.C. Jackson. Most teams would be thrilled if they brought in one of those people. One of those people. You bring in two of those people on top of countless other players with former superstar names, former people that have been in this scheme that are like legitimately immediate upgrades and immediate improvement, especially on the defensive side of the ball, versus who was there to complement the superstars that were already there. And I'm just like, bro, I've listened to you for years, ridicule what they do. And just like all us fans do is the minute they start doing the right thing, it's still not enough. All right. So if anyone knows me, knows me well, um, I don't know the, uh, the guy's name in this movie, but in the movie major league, there's that obnoxious Cleveland Indians fan uh, that, always randy quaid randy Randy... quaid is the actor i that describes me as a fan to a t i'm always yelling at them no matter how good they're doing they're gonna blow blow it it in the ninth they're gonna blow it in the the fourth and tell you right now weston been pretty damn accurate though with that but there is something i feel like this is the first time in a long time i feel like they have a a coach and a vision and it's not just hearsay. It's not just those typical cl- uh, cliches. Uh, Brandon Staley has a vision on how he wants his team to look. And somehow, some way, I'm not sure if he kidnapped uh, general manager Tom Telesco's children and say, listen, I'm not giving them back until you get the players I need. Uh, but I'll tell you right now, uh, he did a tremendous job working with general manager Tom Telesco to really fortify this defense because it was a mess last year. They had no one opposite Joey Bosa to apply pressure. Their <clears throat> their run defense was thinner and weaker than you know a wet paper bag. Uh it just was it just was a an awful an awful and the guy understand that had to do something to Brandon Staley. That you know Brandon Staley is a very prideful person. For his defense to be the weak leak of the team, you know that had to uh, that had to piss piss him off and really make him go to the drawing board to really uh, gain some additional talent. It looks like he's trying to replicate the exact defense that he had back with the Rams. If you if you look what they're doing right now, 
And some of them, yeah, we named a couple of uh, former Ram uh, castoffs. And I mean that in a positive way, but he's literally trying to replicate that defense that was so popular back in 2020. It, it worked, you know. Um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I, I, I literally applaud what this team did. You just mentioned it. Like, what, what was the weak link? Defense, right? Defense. And, and especially now in a – you take a look around the AFC West division and you just say, like, oh, pff, these are four extremely high-powered offenses. How do we compete? Well, you know your offense can hang and, and hung in those games and can put points on the board if you can – change the tide and limit a possession limit one score you're in the playoffs right like and i mean you might win the division you might have home field right like there's things that could have gone differently and i don't know when i look at and i'm not even talking about the draft because i'm actually a pretty big fan of what they did in the draft as well but just free agency alone Khalil Mack, when you te- remember when you text me and they said and you were like they just traded for Khalil Mack or like it was like a somebody else's tweet like rumor that this is getting done and i was like well kiss your next two first goodbye that's right exactly, that's like what this that, league that was is verbatim what you said that's literally and, what i just said and then, I, and then I'm, I that's exactly what i thought and when they got khalil mack i'm like ranger emotion like fuck what did we yep. give up for him this was a desperation move and then when you saw what they gave up it's like oh all right i can live with that shit for the listeners to clarify, it was a second round pick in 2022 that equated to the 43rd overall pick and a 2023 sixth round pick. That's it. Yeah. That's it. That's a far cry from a single first, yeah. two firsts. What is it typically? And I know people like, and myself included, are a little worrisome of Mac playing seven games last year. But if you take away last season, dude missed two games in his entire career. Two games in his entire career. Now, my concern is a little bit of like he's going into his age 31 season, right? Like the body does break down. Is this a precursor of what's to come? But even no, if no, is, no, 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 no. Do not rain in my parade here. I'm, I'm not, the I'm negative not. one. Dude, I'm, I'm going to say this for you right now. Even if he is half of what Khalil Mack has been, that's an upgrade, and that bodes really, really well for Joey Bosa. How many really sacks? Well. Did, how many sacks did he have last year, Khalil Mack? Six and seven games. Okay. How many sacks did um, Uchenna Nwosu, who started all of our games last year, have? Six I was going to say. I was going to say basically when you asked the question, it's probably six or less. <laughs> yes, exactly. So um, if you prorate what Khalil Mack would have, he would have easily had double digit sacks. Probably he would have been ranked in the top six in sacks if he played the whole season. Now he did get hurt. I get that. Not not sure how much injury versus um, motivation to go back to a losing team there was. If you know what I'm saying, like why risk further injury? This team's not getting anywhere. I'm not saying he shut it down. Maybe that's what the coaching thought. You know, you know, thought. Uh, thought. He so, shut it down. His agent shut it down. I'm telling you right now. Right, yeah. like longevity. and everyone who's talking like this has been the chatter about the Khalil Mack and what have you, but why not have the same, you know, this same type of energy for Chandler Jones? He did really good the first couple of games and then he did a Houdini act, but no one's saying that. No one's saying his play fell off, you know, towards the end of the half of last year. Is that age? Is that you know wear and tear on the body and stuff like that? So 
Uh, I get it. Uh, but two things. Khalil Mack is going to bring something uh, that the Chargers haven't had in quite some quite some time. Another superstar pass rusher. I loved Melvin Ingram, but I never thought he was on that tier at all. But he's going to bring another superstar pass rusher opposite Joey Bosa. But he doesn't have to be the superstar pass rusher. He doesn't. He can be fine with them too there because of Bosa. So yeah, he's I think, not the number one, and that's that bodes well for Mac as well, right? Less pressure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, I'm extremely excited, you know, for that. And I, he knows the scheme, which is tremendous. He brings something to the to the running, you know, against the stop the run. Uh, and he's gonna he's he's gonna bring something. I've always thought the Chargers were a finesse team, and they've done something to really get you know enhance style of play which i think they needed to to gravitate towards was bully ball i've always said that fortify that offensive line fortify that defensive line and beat the shit out of people but they always were a finesse team these last you know six years and i'm just happy to see that they've gotten meaner in the trenches because i think that's frankly you look at a lot of teams tampa bay uh the, the buccaneers when they won it uh you look at the rams defensive side you had some bullies on the in the you know in the trenches there, and I think that's imperative if you're really gonna make a deep run in the playoffs. Agreed. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw you a little curveball here. I had a couple questions that I kind of peppered that I wanted to ask you related to just your sentiment around the Chargers' entire offseason. But if you were focusing in solely on just free agency and added talent free agents, like during the free agency period, post draft, anybody that was not acquired via the draft and you can only pick one. What's your fate? Who is your favorite addition? Uh, See, for me, this is easy, but I needed to ask you. Favorite addition, probably JC Jackson. And because I think it's imperative going up against um, the, these potent offenses in the AFC West, especially with Devontae Adams coming on over, especially with Russell Wilson increasing uh, the capabilities of the Denver Broncos passing game. So it has to be J.C. Jackson because what he basically does, he he, for, he knocks down. And I mean, I don't mean this in a negative way. Asante Samuel doesn't have to be the cornerback one anymore. You know, he doesn't have to be a cornerback one. He could be a cornerback two, and he, he basically knocks. Corner the uh, other starting cornerbacks who are good cornerbacks down a little bit more, where they don't have to try to step up the game and play players that are better than them. So I think uh, it's the JC Jackson. However, if I was to say I was close, and there was another person that I was going to say that you probably didn't think I was going to say, Kyle Van Noy. No, I, <clears throat> I I I honestly between you and I, and unfairly because you and I have a lot of conversations. I know how gun ho you are about this edition. Okay, I've I've been gun ho about Kyle Van Noy since BYU. I was furious the fact that the Lions drafted him because I thought that was wasted talent. He had to be a three four uh, outside linebacker in my opinion, and they didn't run that type of scheme back then. Um, he goes to the Patriots, balls out. Goes to Miami, does really well. Goes back to the Patriots, plays really well again. What I love about Kyle Van Noy is versatility, and don't let that V word get you all mixed up here. Versatility doesn't mean that Kyle Van Noy can play multiple positions. It means that Kyle Van Noy can play multiple positions really well. He can blitz on the outside as an edge rusher. He can play inside linebacker. He Last year, he was the top-rated uh, linebacker uh, 
according to PFF, for uh, in zone coverage. So he can do a little of everything. He has that. He has that experience that they don't have. They were a really young team. They've gotten a little older, and that's fine because they still are a really young team. But they didn't have any experience that was not only have experience, but also good play and capability. And he's a positive influence in that locker room. If I've you know started following him on Instagram, and this is stupid, but like he's so excited, and he just you you can see he's just bringing everyone more together. He's such a vocal you know leader, and uh, he's a fun guy. And everyone just gravitates towards him. So he, there's so much he does to that team, you know, that's going to be doing for that team. And he can fill in everywhere, anywhere. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I thought for me the favorite addition was J.C. Jackson as well. Um, I think you could argue that this guy's the top corner in football over the last two years. I mean, if you look at his interception total over the first four years of his career, I forget the names, but like, literally like in NFL history, it's himself and like two other people that yeah. have tallied that level of total in the first four, four years. He finds the ball. You know how I feel about defensive backs um, over even um, edge rushers. I think you pair him with a, a lot of talent. And schematically, you know, you think of – you mentioned Brandy, Brandon Staley and what he was doing in 2020. This is kind of his – I'm not going to – I don't want to call this guy Jalen Ramsey, but this is like his – Version, I think what's most appealing about this edition is the contract. Yeah, I, I just told you that I think this guy is the top corner in football right now, arguably the top corner in football, but his contract wouldn't say that, right? In a year where people are getting like ranked paid, sixth, yeah, like are getting sixth. paid absurd numbers, like he didn't reset the market, which. I think there's a lot of shock related to that, right? Like everybody knew JC was on the move. Everybody knew he was going to get paid. It was just like, who's going to pony up and make this guy? He's the next man up, right? He's the next one to get his contract. Who's going to be the team that sets the market? And then you see that the Chargers are the one that they've been, they'd been linked to him for so long. Mm -hmm. And you see that he makes that decision. And then you see the contract and you're like, what? That does, that doesn't even make sense to me. You know what I mean? Like what he was brought in for, like, if you listen to the numbers, Five years, eighty-two and a half million. So a a, sn- a hair over sixteen million annually. Like I think, Denzel, in this market, I think, I think like Denzel Ward got like twenty million a year. Yeah, like Denzel Ward. Denzel Ward is a fantastic cornerback. When we did our show last year, I had him as the top ten cornerback. Is Denzel Ward four million dollars more worth more than no. J.C. Jackson? I don't no. think so. No. And this is a win for everybody. This is life-changing money for J.C. Jackson. This man was undrafted, by the way. Yep. This is what the New England Patriots do, by the way. Right? Yep. <laughs> they just find this talent. Well, I, I think uh, Derwin James negotiated a great contact with J.C. Jackson. And if you can't, if you're a little confused right now, what I'm saying is because Derwin basically recruited J.C. Jackson, and I felt like they talked, and J.C.'s like, I'll come over. You know, get my bag, but I'll save some money for you too, Derwin. Because Der- Derwin's going to get locked up real soon, probably within a month or so. Uh, Let's so... not go too far down that path because okay. I have a question that's semi-related to that for okay. you. And I don't want to – I only have very few, so I don't want to lose them. Okay. So I'm going to steer you a little bit here. So we talked about the free agency additions. Again, I think, I think what I love about the strategy, though, is for 17 weeks – I listened to you, Lou, talk about how you can't stop the run. 
right? That's I, I heard yeah. you talk about like not being able to stop the run. Then you go and get Sebastian Joseph Day, Austin Johnson, and Christian Covington as immediate. So Day, I would argue, is going to find his way out of that field a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Austin Johnson and Covington are going to be some nice depth, as you alluded to, and some rotational pieces. But those are big bodies yeah. that clog up the middle. And one thing that I love about the Bosa brothers is they're not just pass rushers. They're yes. complete. They stop the run as well. Khalil Mack can stop the run as well. He's not just a pass rusher. So that defensive line got inherently better. So thinking of free agency before, because I, I do want to like parlay this into the draft a little bit and talk a little bit about their draft strategy and some of the, you know, your favorite picks that they came away with. Which player that left during the offseason do you think was the unwisest slash move that hurt the most, whether you think it hurts the team the most or hurts you personally the most. All right. So if you go to our lads and look at um, their starting inside linebackers, it's, there's a lot to be desired there. And the one player they left, they let leave. And I still, still don't understand why was Kaiser white. We talked about Kaiser White flying all around the field last year. You, there was a show where you're like, yo, who the hell was number 44? Because he was killing it. I don't understand. He's a convert, he was a converted safety, uh, showed tremendous ability to go, you know, sideline to sideline. Uh, I, I liked him a lot. And he signed with the Eagles for chump change. And I don't understand why they let Kaiser White uh, leave. Uh, it's, it, was a little, it was a little dumbfounded, but I think that's going to hurt a little more because I feel like they need – a little more, uh, uh, you know, uh, stability in that in the middle of that, um, you know, the middle of that linebacking core. And he was the one that flashed the most. He was the one that played the best, you know, played the best ball of all those linebackers. Drew Tranquil, I like Drew Tranquil. Injury histories. Kenneth Murray, looking like we're we're slowly turning that curve to that B word. Uh, I'm not yep. saying he's a bust yet, because, it, but it's, it's to be desired. And You're encroaching so, upon it quickly. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like Kaiser White, Kaiser White would have brought a little more stability. I wonder if this was more of like a a general manager decision as opposed to a Staley decision, saying, "Hey, no, we don't want to sign White because he would take away from Kenneth Murray." So, so that's what that's what my that was my knee jerk reaction. I'm like, really, you let him go for that amount? Is that because you know you didn't you know you didn't want your golden boy Kenneth Murray? You know, not to see the field because White was out playing him. So that's what the GM in me says, right? Is this was very much a GM decision because of the Kenneth Murray scenario. What? So for what he signed with in Philadelphia and what his cap hit is for the year, and I, and I forget the numbers, but it's then they brought in Troy Reader, right? As kind of mm-hmm. like essentially the insurance. And I think Troy reader costs like a couple hundred thousand dollars less a year, right? Like Mm -hmm. not even like we're not even talking about millions. We're talking about a couple hundred thousand dollars less per year. Now I see this both ways. So to me, letting Kaiser white too was the one that as even a non-fan hurts the most because I became infatuated with his play over the course of the year. And then you see his contract and you're like, I want my team to sign him. Like that's, that's, that's like backup money. Right. Like for a guy who's on the field quite a bit. 
So from Brandon Staley's perspective, it's like, okay, we lose Kaiser White, but Troy Reader has played for me before. Mm-hmm. I have familiarity with him. He understands what I'm trying to do. So, hey, th- no learning curve there, that sort of stuff. But if you were to stack Troy Reader and Kaiser White, like I don't even think it's close that they're the same no. player, you know? So the reason why they brought in Troy Reader, because Troy Reader is good enough to spot start during certain periods of time for a couple of games here and there. It's not a total liability, but possibly not good enough to t- keep Kenneth Murray off the field. Yep. Do you see what I'm I, saying? Has, this has I nothing do. to do, this is, in my opinion, this has all to do with Kenneth Murray. Yeah, 100%. But I, I don't know if it's the old school in me. Um, cause we ain't the young dogs that cover these teams anymore, but it's like, I always grew up under, under the school thought of like, regardless of position, you can never have enough good players. Right. And when good players aren't costing you a ton of money, you keep them what you and I are going to have this exact conversation in a moment about my team and in a totally different context. And part of yeah, my really. response is going to be, you can't you just can't have enough good players. Like I don't I don't know what else to say to you. Like I don't care what position they play. Like look what they're doing at safety between Derwin, Nasir, bringing in JT Woods. Like some of this feels redundant. But you can never have enough good players. Like they become chess pieces and you can move them around and if they're really that good, you find a way to make it work. Again, someone like Kaiser White, a converted safety. Like you know what your nickel package looks like now at this point in time, like from a well, coverage and just like, I don't, I'll, I, I, I'll I say this. don't understand it. I'll say this. If you heard what Brandon Staley said is, about Derwin James, I thought it was telling this off season. He said, and this is why I knew they're going to resign. They're going to resign Derwin James. Everyone talks about, you got to build around a quarterback. We have to build around Justin Herbert. My philosophy also, we have to build around Derwin James. Yeah, quarterback of the defense. Exactly, exactly. So all these safeties that they uh, they basically acquired, um, you know, whether it's via the draft or what have you, uh, it's going to free up James. That was the, that's their mentality, and I personally think he's going to be playing a lot more linebacker. So maybe the need for Kaiser White was not as so big because Derwin's going to be c- coming closer to the box, which is going to be extremely beneficial. Because we were talking about this, I think you know we do like some pre shows and. Sometimes our pre-shows are probably better than our, our regular shows. But if you're just many you're, more expletives, just many more expletives. Yeah, and I think we get a little more controversial too. But so if you're if you're a quarterback, and uh, Daniel Jeremiah made this good point. If you're a quarterback and you see Derwin James as a safety, you know, 15 yards, 12 yards from line of scrimmage, don't you feel a little more comfortable him being back there as opposed to him being closer to line of scrimmage as a linebacker? Where you can blitz him, you can play coverage, tight coverage against those tight ends, Kelsey, Waller, uh, you know, and all the other stud tight ends. Because you don't know what Derwin James is going to do when he's close to the line of, sc- line of scrimmage. So I really feel like they're going to utilize. They got all these safeties, Adderley, uh, you know, JT Woods, and, and what have you, so they can free up Derwin James like Brandon Staley envisioned. And that's why I think Derwin James is going to play more linebacker. So maybe that made Kaiser White a little more expendable. So I'm going to make a prediction for you right now. Bold prediction. Derwin James, I always caveat with if healthy and playing the entire season. You have to with him. We'll have two pick sixes this year. And here's why. You just mentioned the the schematics of this. Him playing close to the line of scrimmage. 
they're going to show early and often that he's coming. And they're going to put that on tape early intentionally that he's coming. So then the quarterbacks, when they're processing things, are like, that guy's coming. They might drop a linebacker. So depending upon alignment, if I have, let's just say I have Kelsey sitting over here off to my left, right? Like slotted out a little bit. And Derwin's kind of hovering in that area. And I get some inclination that Derwin's coming. The expectation is that linebacker that's probably sitting somewhere in between the guard and the tackle from an alignment standpoint, seven yards off the line of scrimmage, has to fly out to Kelsey, right? That's really difficult to do unless you're uber athletic. So it's going to be hot read, right? That that I'm, I'm trying to explain to listeners like where the hot read comes into play. We've all seen Wedding Crashers and it's hot route, hot route, hot route. <laughs> This is the concept, right? Like, who's the guy who's immediately open at the snap of the ball, which changes the complexion of the play? That's where you're supposed to go with the rock, and that's what quarterbacks are taught. And then all of a sudden, he's going to show I'm coming, and I'm not, and and he's going to be right in a passing lane. And he's going to be right in a passing lane, spread out on the formation, where there's nobody's going to catch him. So I'm telling Mm -hmm. you, two pick sixes this year from – Derwin James, because of that threat. And this is all brought to you by and made possible by Lou. Tell him who that I've been telling you about that you guys drafted that lets this happen to be able to bring Derwin down um, a little bit more aggressively, specifically in like nickel packages. Tell him. I'll, Lou. Be- Tell him. I'll, I'll believe it. I'll, I'll see it when I believe it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, Mahomes. Uh, uh, Weston and I have a difference in, of opinion of, with JT Woods. Uh, I did not like that pick whatsoever. He's the safety uh, from Baylor, and Weston was a big fan of JT Woods. Um, it's just, I'm just not a fan of him. I feel like I know he was a quote-unquote ball hawk, you know, back in Baylor, but if you really look at his interceptions, those were the tip priority. They just fell in his hand, type of stuff. Like good, you know, was a good play. Was what's the thing? Like lucky place, good. lucky. To, yeah, good players yeah. find the football, buddy. Good yeah. players right, find right the football. Right time, right play, right time, right place, type of stuff. And, and sometimes the football finds you, but yeah, that's so, right time, well, right place means in right position. I, as you well. know, for me, for me, the jury's still out. You know, out on uh, J.T. Woods, obviously. I I I just want to see it, you know, because I'm not a believer right now. I'm a, I'm a I'm a huge skeptic. So, all right, for the listeners, Lou, tell them what you sent me two two days ago. What was the oh. Instagram? How many picks does he have in camp so far? I, I think I saw something like around four. Yeah. So do, does shirts and helmets translate to on the field? Guess no. what? Guess what? Guess what? Though <laughs> the latest pick was a tip ball to him. <laughs> yeah, um, bro, I'm telling you, have you ever met somebody in your life that like you're like this person's just good at life, right? Like everything falls their way. It's no different. Like, what do you think? Like the mink of like think about the way that Troy Palomalo used to play football. Think about the way Minka Fitzpatrick plays football. Like, it's not an accident that they're scooping up these fumbles and going to the house. Like, they're in the right position. They're trusting their instincts. They're trusting things. I'm not. Dude, let me pause for a moment. I am not saying JT Woods is of that variety. What I'm saying, his biggest benefit to the Chargers and what changes the defense is in those nickel situations, they're going to be three safeties. They're not going to be a slot corner. Nasir and Derwin are not coming off the field. They're going to bring in Woods, especially early in his career while he's still like learning the defense and learning things. And they're going to be like, bro, 
the top portion of the field is yours. This guy has, exactly. a, has Olympic track speed. He can get to either boundary if that ball hangs in the in the air long enough. So they're going to be like, you stay here in between the hashes and you react based on that quarterback's eyes and where you see that, that lead arm pointing, you go. And that lets you bring Derwin down. And I think – I think Derwin again. I'm making another prediction for you, dude. And I'm I'm just I'm on my game tonight. I'm telling you. If healthy, for the whole year, Derwin James will be in the defensive player of the year conversation because he's going to be able to you he's going to be able that, to yeah. do more of what he is really good at. Like I would put him on the same caliber. All right, we all knock Jamal Adams because he can't cover anybody and he's a liability in coverage, et cetera. But you know what Jamal Adams is really good at? He's good at being in the box, stopping the run, and getting to the quarterback. Derwin is really good at that as well. The added element to his game is he can take away people in the passing game. We Mm -hmm. saw it this year against Kansas City where in what was it? In the first three quarters, Kelsey had like one catch for like four yards, one catch for for four four yards. yards. He goes off the field injured, and then Kelsey lights it up. That's yep. not an accident. That's not an accident. It, it, it's it's a combination of things. It's that player being really good, and then the offense scheming away from that player who's really good because he takes that option away. Yeah, Dude, I'm yeah. telling you, he stays healthy all year. The way this defense is going to look, feeling confident that they don't have to stack, stack the box against the run if they got enough beefy, good bodies up there. Derwin's going to be in the defensive player of the year conversation. I, I have bring, zero doubt about that. I want to bring up two points. Uh, first point uh, will be, if you look at, I still think, even though I allude to the fact that I think five, which would eight, make Derwin James in the top three defensive players in the league. Just <laughs> saying. <laughs> no, from all like we're we're focusing on the defense. I think it's important because that was obviously you know the elephant in the room. You know, at the end of last year, it cost them a trip to the playoffs. Uh, if you look down the stretch. You know, they choked against the Texans and, and they choked against the Raiders. So two points I want to bring up. Okay, the first point, even though about uh, they brought in eight players, you know, on this defense from outside, 60% of those players that they brought in have have familiarity with uh, Brand Staley's scheme. I still think it's going to – I still think it's going to be a slow, little, little learning curve for everyone always, to gel together. Always so it's going to be a little, for the defense. It's going to be – the defense. Exactly. Secondly, when they do start rolling, one thing everyone lauded last year is about the, the Chargers offense. Fifth. It was ranked fifth in the NFL. Really good. You know what, though? They were ranked 25th in number of drives. Meaning, like, they were extremely efficient. Whenever they got their ball, they would score. But they never got the ball often enough to put more points up. And with the additions they made with J.C. Jackson, interceptions, JT Woods, the ball hawk, Khalil Mack, uh, Joey Bosa, sack fumble specialist. If they can just – this defense can just somewhat improve on the run defense and increase the turnovers or, you know, you know, three and outs, this offense should be even better because it didn't change at all this offense. You got to think about it. And you could say that's, that's – you know, you don't mess with perfection. I'm always a firm believer that, you know, you always, there's always room for more. But all that being said, um, this is the first time. I think this is good that the offense didn't change because Justin Herbert has not had consistency from offensive standpoint 
this is the first time in six years he's had the same offensive coordinator since high school. Since high and, school. And the same skill players, right? Exactly. So uh, I think this he's gonna, you know, him playing with the same type, you know, same players, nothing really changing, even though they didn't really add too much to this offense. I think that it's just that second year in this scheme is going to be, you know, you know, be a huge uh, benefit for Justin Herbert. All right. So real quick, I don't want to spend time here because we did okay. a lot of like draft mm-hmm. recap, but I do want to get your opinion on. All right. I'm going to take the obvious out of this equation, which is Zion Johnson, who's going to be immediate contributor yep. to this, your first round pick. Um, We've heard at nauseum how pleased you are that that was the pick versus reaching for certain individuals, uh, et cetera. So outside of Zion, in this draft, who is your favorite addition? I could be corny as hell and say Khalil Mack, but I won't. Um, no, in the draft. No. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, 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 I could. But uh, believe it or not, it's funny. I was the only one that was fine with the Isaiah Spiller selection. And I actually – I'm a – because they've had no one behind Austin Eckler. Austin Eckler played tremendous last year, but damn, they had no one to spell him whatsoever. Justin Jackson was good, but can never stay on the field. I think Isaiah Spiller, first of all, they got him in the fourth round, so I love the value there. And I think he's going to bring something that they haven't had in quite some time is that big, powerful back. And what that's really going to do is change the perception because they have a big, powerful offensive line. So he's coming into a good situation. It's not like he's going behind a makeshift off the offensive line. So he's going to be have, have some room to run behind those hog mollies. All right. So what he's going to do and provide for them is help spell Austin Eckler. And most importantly, if people are playing those two high safeties, look on defense now that's catching like wildfire. He's going to make those safeties come up because they're going to have to stop him. So I, I love I love the fact that uh, Isaiah I love the Isaiah Spiller uh, selection. I hope they get creative and, and put Eckler and Spiller together on the field because Spiller, a lot of people don't know that he can catch the ball. I think he had like seventy eight catches in college. A big bat that can catch. You know, I've always thought he kind of reminded me a little of like maybe Kareem Hunt esque. Uh, you know, wasn't you know not fast, but he's big, he's powerful, he glides and can catch. So I feel like he he's going to be able to bring another dynamic, a more physical type of offense that they really haven't had, and that's going to be that counterpunch to those two high safety looks that they're going to see a lot of. So it's funny. We all know how I feel about JT Woods. Um, I too wanted to say Isaiah Spiller, but I won't. I won't be redundant here. Since I'm on a roll with predictions, I'm telling you he's going to be your RB1 by the end of the year. I'm just no. You. Yeah, yeah no. he will be. Yeah, he will be. No. Um, so I'll go with your six-round pick. Jamarie Salyer, they're slotting him in as a guard. But I don't know, man. This dude played right tackle and left tackle for Georgia in national championship games in the SEC. Like – we talked about that versatility and the ability to play different positions. I mean, the guy's 6'4", 325 pounds. I think he dropped something like 30, 40 pounds going into his junior year to slide over from to left tackle from right tackle. And right tackle is a position that the team's been looking at, right, and, and reevaluating. I'm not saying this guy slides in, but I don't know, man. Just 
his pedigree and where he comes from, the fact that he was a sixth round pick, like I've seen people go in the first and second round that I'm like, uh, mm, and this guy, this, like this was a midday two guy in my, my, in my personal opinion. And to get him into the sixth round, I think fans should be excited about that because I think come camp when the pads are on, you're going to see him like every day, you're going to get a new report from the charger beat, right? Writers that are going to say he lined up at right tackle today. He took some shots at right guard, left guard. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. he's going to line up. You know what I mean? Like it could he be your swing tackle, right? God forbid. Like, could he do those things? And I think if you're getting that type of production and that type of conversation out of your six round pick, like that's a home run all day to me. That's a home yeah, run. Fantastic value. He has tremendous amount of experience up and down the offensive line. And once again, we keep on talking about versatility and they, they are really becoming a versatile team, not just offense or defense, but the whole team is becoming extremely versatile. So I, I definitely love the Salier pick uh, myself too, because how can you go wrong with, you know, uh, you know, an offensive lineman from Georgia in round six that, you know, has played really well in the sec. And that really should have gone uh, probably end of round two, early round three types of uh, you know, value there. All right. One final question, and if you're cool, we can parlay into. Let's do it, yeah, yeah. Let's right. talk, yeah, because yeah. What what unresolved issue concerns you the most heading into camp? I mean, come on, this is a, this is a softball question here. It's that right. right ta It's the right tackle. If you look at uh, first of all, if you look at the AFC West, no one has a good right tackle. No one does. I don't. Uh, it's all question marks up and down the AFC West. Which is ironic because a lot of the teams in AFC West made a conscious effort to load up on pass rushers from both sides of the ball. So for all four teams to kind of ignore it somewhat uh, is it's really interesting. Uh, Broncos probably did the best job by signing Billy Turner as a right tackle. So um, I do like Billy Turner a lot. So, but if you look at the other, you know, the other three other three teams in division, it's a lot to be desired. Um, don't know really what the plan is. There's rumblings of moving left guard uh, Matt Filer out to right tackle where he has a lot of experience because that's where he played with the Pittsburgh Steelers and uh, then slotting in, you know, one of the many guards that they have on the, you know, in the, on the death chart, you know, a left guard. That's option number one or maybe option number two. Uh, you're also looking at Trey Pipkins. Um, <clears throat> Trey Pipkins, he did good last year in the two spot starts that he made, which is shocking. Uh, he was a former third round pick for the, you know, the Los Angeles chargers. The thing with him, they overreached for him at that, uh, at that third round. And I just feel like, what, what are you expecting from him? This guy is not really, well, has not really showed anything in his first couple of years in the league. He played well in two, two, three games. And now you're expecting him to maybe, you know, hold the anchor down at that right tackle position. I don't know, but, you can't have studs up and down the offensive line. It's really hard. I think their thought process is this. If you just have one problem on the offensive line, it's kind of easier to, I'm going to say, scheme. Being like, you, you plan for like, uh, right tackle is going to be a shit show, so this is what we're going to have to do you know, for certain situations where they had two issues last year, right guard and right tackle. I don't really foresee them having two such issues anymore on the offensive line. So maybe it's more of a by committee that right tackle, and we're just going to scheme better. Um, so I think that's, that's the area of concern because there's still guys out there, Riley Reef, Daryl Williams, 
uh, that I think can provide some value and versatility, by the way, because that seems like something that they you know, are coveting that would really fit nice there, but I don't think they're going to sign or kick the tires on anyone. I mean, listen, good problem to have. There hasn't been a team that has literally pro ballers at all five positions up and down the offensive line since like the early 90s Dallas Cowboys, right? Mm-hmm. Like it just doesn't exist. But like you said, you can scheme around one position. Now, the 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 beautiful part about me coming up with some of these questions to ask you is I got time to think about my answer in advance around some of these things. So I I, I listed here that the right tackle was definitely some concern. I think the other concern I might have is wide receiver depth. You know how much I love 13. I love <laughs> Keenan Allen. Uh, but he showed signs of age last year. He wasn't the same. Mike Williams just got some pretty hefty money. Um, has he lived up to that production? I think we'd both argue not. But like, based on what you paid him versus what other wide receivers who have limited production were getting paid, like probably the responsible move in this particular market to say the least um i was hoping that instead of zion johnson there was a very specific wide receiver that they might have taken at what, you and me 16 both, or 17 buddy. all over you and me both um but i also think the biggest lingering issue is the derwin contract it's gonna get done that's not really necessarily my concern oh that's getting done before but it's gonna post. get it done for a lot of money a lot of money well, it was never going to get done for little. <laughs> no, but like the timing of that, always, the time, yeah, the timing on that Minka thing, uh, I feel like hurts really a little screwed. bit. They should now have been I, first. You want to be first to the punch in those instances. Yeah, but now you're hearing things like, uh, you know, he had off season shoulder surgery to repair a labrum issue they had. Uh, you know, I feel like they're they're working through this. Uh, it's interesting to see what he'll get because, in my opinion, I feel like he's better than Minka. However, what Minka has over him is guess what? I'm on the field. My ability is availability. Uh, yeah. So, and that's not a slight to Minka. Minka's really good. I love Minka. Yeah. Derwin's just a better Dur- a better player. I don't. Yeah, I, mean, more I don't really think there's an argument here. Um, but you got to stay on that field, man. And this is that's uh, it. he seems to be addicted to every every offseason. He, he seems to be addicted to that offseason knife and that offseason rehab, man. That's and a that's going to be an issue with that big contract that's going to come. That's it's going to it's it's going to get done. And let me tell you yeah. why it's going to get done. Um, J.C. Jackson didn't take a a little discount uh, knowing, you know, to Dur- not Dur- play with his boy, you know, like ex- exactly, exactly. And Derwin James said in some com in uh, some uh, conferences that like, Hey, I don't have, I, you know, this will get done. Like he, there was definitely some reassuring words that he said this off season. And I, I think it's a, it's a no brainer. It's going to get done. And if you look at when they signed Joey Bosa to that contract, it was like around like end of July, early August. I think it's the same thing. So all in all, and we'll transition here, I literally give the Chargers an A for their offseason. And I don't think you can give them any other grade. There's 31 other teams in this league that are biding for good players, and they got <laughs> quite a few of them this offseason. Desirable location. Clearly, people want to go play in L.A. Don't know why they want to pay that those, those t- California state taxes. My team deals with this as well. But nonetheless, um, I, if I'm a Chargers fan, I'm walking away on paper and this is all on paper everything's got to align feeling really good walking into this offseason yeah no i mean i'm beyond you know the i just, I'm still feel like i'm fucking dreaming right now because the the, the amount of intelligence that went to this offseason is just shocking from a franchise that has always half-assed it or not shown 
tremendous intelligence. So, yeah. So, cool to cool to parlay and yeah. Let's up let's, a little bit. let's go a little further up north now. Let's go to San yeah. Francisco. Uh, up to, the, to the bay. Yeah. So, uh, your 49ers, uh, pretty quiet offseason, nothing crazy, no storylines or anything like that. <laughs> um, so I think this is quiet be a as lo- a mouse, baby. Yeah, quiet I think this, this might be a little low in our show. So, um, yeah. all can aside, man, I feel like three, four minutes and we'll be done. Yeah. All can aside, man, I feel like you're, you know, San Francisco is one of the most polarizing teams in the NFL. You have people saying that. They're going to make the playoffs and make a deep run because they've improved. They brought everyone back. They've improved at the quarterback position. And then you have people saying they're missing the playoffs, and which is a little shocking because the NFC is a little weak. Why is this team so polarizing, do you feel like? like what is your thought process? Why are there so many variants of opinions uh, when talking about the 49 success in this year? Because opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one. And I understand, have, but why isn't there a consensus though? Because it, they're fans. Like a lot of like what we hear is is fa- and you know what, dude? F- five Lombardies that'll do that to you. What are the other polarizing teams that you know so much about? Dallas Cowboys, mm-hmm. right? They seem to be pretty polarizing. New England Patriots. If you're not a New England fan, everybody hates the New England Patriots, and they draw the harshest of criticisms. Every every offseason, Bill Belichick is basically mocked for what he does, but yet time and time and time again, he proves everybody um, wrong. If I had to summarize the 49ers offseason outside of the two main storylines that we're going to talk about here in just a moment, I'd say, meh, to be expected as advertised. Um, you and I talked about this going into the offseason. There was literally zero expectation from a knowledgeable fan, zero expectations that many splashes were going to be made. Reasons for this. Tight cat. Other reason for this. We just don't traditionally do it. Another reason for it. Just played in the NFC Championship. It's got to mean there's a little bit of talent on your roster. Few positions to be had. Like, you're not the Jacksonville Jaguars that can just throw money at everybody. Like, you got your own players you got to retain because you don't want them walking. You know, there are lingering contract issues um, that are are taking place and, and people getting paid. But... And, and we will dive into this. I am, I'm satisfied and I will convey my satisfaction because a lot of the things that took place, Lou, I told you they were going to take place. I told you that they were going to happen. We have receipts, right? Like one of which I told, I said literally over seven months ago at this point in time, like, don't be surprised when this happens. Um, and, and it's more towards the quarterback position than it is the other saga that that prediction came a little bit later, but like literally in season on Jesse's show, I told you this was going to happen with Jimmy. Um, it, it just made too much sense. Um, I, I didn't expect some certain, certain things. So before we get into those topics, I know you want to ask me about those topics. I'm chopping up the bit. I know you are. So the big splash was Charvarius Ward, quarterback from Kansas city an ascending player you know, making $14 million a year over a three-year contract, but that was the splash free agency signing. That's it, right? That's literally it. And I'll never forget it because you and I were covering the NFC West and AFC West on the show, and we had what's-his-face on from um, Pete 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 from from the the Chiefs. Chiefs. Um, 
and we were talking about things and like we literally had mentioned that like hey Charvarius Ward's on their radar and then we hang up for and stop the show and stop recording and you are BSing afterwards in our little room and the announcement comes over my phone that they just signed Charvarius Ward and I was so pissed because I didn't even get to be like hey let me announce this <laughs> like on the show you yeah, know right? it was like it was the show was already done and completed and it had to come back everything else free agency wise again unless you're like a diehard passionate fan you're going to look at this and say like why what doesn't make sense ray ray mcleod Oren burks george odom Kerry heider kamoko ture like these are names that most people don't know but of those first three names that i just mentioned ray ray mcleod Oren burks george odom they actually are immediate impact players to this team in one very special way related to the, no pun intended, special teams. Do not let that Green Bay game in the playoffs fool you where our special teams like literally won the game for us and our offense did nothing. This special teams was abysmal all year long. Abysmal in the return game. Um on the defensive side of special teams, so on kickoff, punt, just giving up too much yardage. I mean, dude, we had like Jawan Jennings, who's basically like our third or fourth wide receiver, running down there as a gunner trying to make tackles. I mean, he's like a 4-7 speed guy. You know what I mean? Like, you need your gunners. These should be a 4-3, guys all day long that get down there like as the ball is landing. And we just had none of that. I mean, dude, we had Ambry Thomas at times returning kicks. Jamichael Hasty returning kicks. Dude, we were even throwing Debo Samuel out there to return kicks. And that's not good. That's not how you're supposed to use your offensive weapon is returning kicks. Like, that's a recipe for injury. So, like, someone like Ray Ray McLeod, actually, like I said, that's an immediate impact. That's an immediate, I have my returner. And he's been very successful at it in the NFL for quite a few years. Um, the George Odom signing, I actually like more than just for special teams. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him start opposite Jimmy Ward at safety, only competing again if everything that you and I have heard offline from certain sources is that Jaquaski Tart is all but gone with no intention of bringing him back, even though he's still a free agent. That leaves Hufunga and Tarvarius more. I don't have a ton of confidence in either one of them. D- Odom's going to get every opportunity. But everything else was just like you talked about it with the charge depth. Everything else was depth. Kerry Hyder, hey, he had a great year in 2019. He walked in 2020, didn't have a great year. He's right back. This all has to do with Chris Kasurik and what he does with defensive linemen. Same with Ture, who's never played a full season. Um, One of the things that I do like that they did is bring Jeff Wilson back at running back. Um, I love taking a shot on Jason Verrett on another one-year veteran low-risk like deal because especially with the addition of Charvarius Ward, having Emmanuel Mosley, um, doesn't have to be on the field right away. And his injury happened literally in week one, right? So by the time we get to week one of this year, in theory, he should be pretty darn close to a, a full recovery and get an opportunity to get some reps. So this is not something that like should linger till you know, Small chance he starts on the pup. Very small chance. But, um, you know, not a guarantee to find him there. So that's – but, again, one splash move. A little disappointment in free agency as a fan. I asked you before about, like, hey, who's the player that you think, like, hurt the team or even hurt your heart the most? 
Uh, hold on, hold on. You're, you're, you're killing yeah. me here. I, you know what? I'm just going to let you talk. I'm going to go to bed, all right? So you just... No, 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 no. You, I'll stop. You I'll literally, stop. I'll stop. No, no, no. Okay, no, no. Go ahead. No. I was literally going to say, you're talking about you know some of the acquisitions you guys made this offseason. You know, let's flip the coin. Let's look at the glass half empty. Who's that one guy? Is it Tart or is there someone else that you lost in the offseason that you're like, ah, oh, shit, I didn't like that? Yeah. Um. So there are four names that come to mind, and this wow, is just me four. being a fan. They're, well, there's just me being a fan and seeing these four guys flourish in this scheme on this team. But if you're holding a gun to my head and I had to only say one, I'd say DJ Jones going to the Denver Broncos. Interesting. But he – dude, he was – no pun intended, but he was the meat of that defensive line. Like, we talk about, like, what special defensive linemen do, and it's like, is he going to ever have a 10-sack season in his life? No. But he does get up the middle. His first step is explosive. He's an animal in eating up the run game, and he lives in people's backfields. And – they didn't have a lot of money into him because he was like a, he wasn't a first or a second round pick. You know what I mean? Like he was a, a later steal that just flourished. But the reality was is that there was no way in hell they were actually going to pay ten million dollars a year annually for a defensive tackle. See, I'm shocked you said that, and two reasons. You have Javon Kinlaw coming back. You know, I know the jury's still out on him, but like it's it's just that's an interesting person to replace dj jones i'm not saying they're the same skill set they don't i get it but he can provide something up that middle secondly i'm shocked you did not go on the offensive line to protect your second year quarterback in lakin tomlinson looking at your offensive line right now a little bit a little in that interior it's a, it's a little dicey yeah. listen so he, I, again, I thought I, like him losing him you thought yeah i, I thought it was huge because it, it, it kind of knocks some of that stability in the interior, especially with losing, um, you know, Mac. Yep. So, yes, like losing Lakin hurts, but the like the one thing that I applaud this, and you say it all the time that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are very intelligent, right? Like they impress you in some ways. And what I'm impressed by in some areas is that I feel like they see two years in advance. And they knew this was going to happen. They knew when the contract was out. They looked around at other contracts that they knew they were going to have to work through. And Lakin was going to be a casualty of that. They knew that. And that, hence, bring in the drafting of Aaron Banks last year. Is Aaron Banks going to be the same player as Lakin Tomlinson? Probably not. You know, but Lakin Tomlinson, once upon a time, was a first-round bust that came over and all of a sudden was, a you know, a pro-ball caliber player on this offensive line that didn't miss a game, by the way, in five years with us, right? So, like, yeah, that hurts, but the plan was there, right? So that softens the blow a little bit for me. I don't – I just don't think – jury is definitely still out on Javon Kinlaw. I need to see more. I need to see him – availability is the best, availability, uh, uh, best ability. Need to see him on the field – not sure how that body's holding up. Those knees are holding up. But DJ was just always somebody that I could count on. Just a, a non-household name, unless you were a 49ers fan, that just got the job done. Like, he was the model of consistency up the middle for that that defensive line. And I just – I love him. Like, lo dude, I'm telling you, the, the Broncos got a player. Like, they had to pay for him, but the Broncos got a player. He's a solid player. The other one was Kwan Williams. I love the Shark. You've heard me on this show say a number of times that he is definitively the best slot corner 
in the NFL. And he wasn't even had for that all that much money to go to Cleveland, but it, it, it just, it was time. You know what I mean? It's been a few years. He's another year older. Um, he was nicked up a little bit, you know, throughout the year. So is that body breaking down? It was, and it's just a spot that I think the, cause he can't line up outside. Like he can't line up outside the numbers. And I think it was just a spot where the 49ers felt like it was an opportunity for them to go younger and cheaper. And I think they did address some of that um, in the draft and even with who they have right now. And that's why Verrett is so key. If Verrett could, be half the player he was, but stay on the field. That gives them flexibility with Mosley to be able to move down to the slot, who's been a proven player. So um, I just, again, I think they're calculated in this. So to me, to answer your question, it's DJ Jones. Yeah, I think, uh, in my opinion, I think your defense is going to be fine. You, uh, looking at the, you know, who you have on, you know, throughout like the depth chart and our lads, I, I think you guys are going to be fine. My main concern for you guys is to, is, Twofold is that offensive line, a lot of uncertainty starting from your right tackle, Mike McGlinchey coming off, you know, a big injury, still a lot of uncertainty what's going on with him. Uh, and then that, you know, in the interior of the offensive line, Aaron Banks liked him at Notre Dame. I get it. it interesting to see how he fits with uh, San Francisco for the f- fact was, I felt like he's more of like a power scheme type of guy, at Notre Dame. And you guys are obviously more of a zone scheme. Uh, you know, unless I'm wrong, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like you guys are a wide zone scheme. And, and now you're you're relying on him uh, to pick up where Lake and Tomlinson, you know, left off. You're also looking at Jake Brendel as your starting, you know, center, and also Daniel Brunskill, who did good, but in spot starts too. You know, he did good with uh, you know the 49ers. That's a lot. And where I think it's really going to impact you guys is not the running game. Shanahan can scheme that shit out. That running game ridiculous your running game is gonna be fine man it always is always will be it's a constant i mean there's three things in life that's certain death taxes and the shanahan running you know, run <laughs> no offense. No all right doubt. my issue is that pass protection with a quarterback hasn't played in a long time still gonna hold the ball longer exactly this is my concern and yeah you can do things like move the pocket and what have you and he'll will move better than jimmy g all right However, you still do have to beat people. How, how quarterbacks always beat, you know, nine times out of ten, beat teams. You know, you beat them in the pocket. Yeah. So that's is why that the, your, is that your biggest concern, or am I trying to create this? No, that's narrative? my biggest concern. No, no, you're not creating a narrative. It's a huge concern, um, especially when I think of young, inexperienced quarterbacks who just tend to maybe not trust their read, not necessarily trust what they see pre-snap, so they tend to hold the ball a little bit longer. It, it, it's just – it happens, right? Hey, like, the, hey, the good thing is is that Shanahan offense is very easy to understand and it's not complicated whatsoever. No, but that's why you draft people with a brain between the, their ears, um, and I'm certain that we did do that. The Where I draw a little if, – if, if Jimmy was still the quarterback – I'd be the starting quarterback, I should say. I'd be tremendously – I'd be much more concerned because of, like, the moving the pocket, using your legs, buying a little bit of time, like that sort of thing. So I think there are times where blocking for somebody like a Lamar Jackson and much more mobile quarterbacks is more difficult because like, you don't know where they're always going to be. Right. So like, that's hard. Like you don't know where to block them. 
But I think you're going to see Kyle keep Trey in the pocket and the instruction is going to be tackles, just run them up field, right? And he can sneak in behind and step up and do those things and trust his legs a little bit more and buy a little time. But I'm not here to I'm not here to minimize what you just said. Like, it's a concern, man. Like, it's a concern. Like, losing Mac, I think, again, they probably thought that was realistic. I think they tried to do some things in the draft um, to, to get some – I think they're comfortable with Brendel, who knows the offense has been around it for a while. Um, is he Alex Mack? No. Is he J.C. Treader? No. You know what I mean? Like, but he'll be serviceable. I'm not as concerned about Brunskill because – my favorite thing about Brunskill and the ongoing joke in the 49er world is he is Aaron Donald's daddy. Yeah. Like he owns Aaron Donald, owns Aaron Donald. Um, I'm more concerned about McGlinchey. I've been concerned about McGlinchey for years, let alone coming off of like, like he just struggles in pass pro. He's a great tackle. In yeah, the right and, and if he's not even suitable, if, he, if, he, if he's still not able to, you know, pl- play where he did, you know, prior, regardless like who who is that swing tackle like it's it's just it's kind of like a recipe of disaster for a quarterback that's still so young still so new um and hasn't played a lot of ball so and i understand you were talking about the tackles just you know make the edges run up field that's fine my my concern is not the tackles per se it's more of that interior offensive line and the pressure they're going to allow because i do think they're going to want lance to you know for the most part to beat you know, to be more of a pocket passer. Yeah. I'm not saying he's not going to be picture like Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson really yeah. wants to throw the, you know, he will Patrick move. Mahomes. They want to yeah. throw the ball, but they can move all over the field when they need to. The issue is, is that interior pressure is a bitch and you cannot escape that. Nope. Or it's harder to escape that. So yep. it's that interior offensive line that make me sweat a little bit. If I was a 49ers fan, no doubt. Um, all right. So, all I'm right. Sweating so, it. Yeah. So, if only you guys had a little more money to spend, like around twenty more million dollars, maybe you could have been more active in free agency, uh, or maybe you could have addressed and signed your own. And I think you can tell from my pompous prick voice right now that we're gonna get somewhere. No, enough with the foreplay, Weston. Enough with the foreplay. We're going right. We're diving Just stick in. It in. Just, Just stick it in. You ready, Jimmy J? Yeah. Our caught. Our Kyle and Lynch being smart with this Jimmy G situation and why are they not? And why are they not? <laughs> and why are they not? I, I, uh, I, I answered the question for you, but go ahead. I know, I know. Because I know so, we, 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 we went hard at this one. The one we did. Pre-show. We did. Um, I'm going to reposition this. I don't think they're being smart. I think they're being prudent. So, as the fan, does prudent thinks, mean does prudent mean arrogant? <laughs> I think that I think it's a synonym if you look it up in Webster's <laughs> okay. dictionary. Um, I'm pretty confident. I so the fan in me that thinks they're a general manager and thinks they play for the team and sits in the front office. I told you the biggest value of Jimmy was to release him in the off season, regardless of what you think you're going to get in return, because I did think that $25 million provided a lot of flexibility 
in these scenarios doesn't mean that they were going to use it to go make a big splash in free agency. Doesn't mean that they were going to use it to extend Boso, Bosa and Debo because they that's already been calculated and accounted for. But like where they sit right now, today, post Alex Mack, uncertainty about McGlinchey and his health and what that looks like. You mentioned some names that are out there, right tackle in the league, right? That are household names for the most part that aren't two, $3 million a year players, right? Like that money does become a little valuable. So I'm, but what did I say on Jesse's show all the way? I honestly do that. This was like early December, maybe late November. If we go back in and check when we talked about it, I said, don't be surprised when he's on the roster in 2022. Like I, I literally said that, like I would not be surprised in the slightest bit. Why am I not surprised? I'm not surprised because I think the 49ers value him more than anybody else does. And I think John Lynch and Shanahan do carry a, a swag of arrogance to them that says, hey, this is what our value is. And if you're not going to give it to us, okay, we get them for another year. What was I saying before about Kaiser White? You can never have enough good football players, even at the most important position. And, and listen, is Jimmy G a great quarterback? No. But in three years, played in two NFC championships game and been to a Super Bowl. It's got a little, you know what I mean? Like he's got a winning pedigree. The team is by record infinitely better when he's has been the starting quarterback. So what better insurance policy so, uh, so, if, the, if the player that you just so invested in something happens? Okay. Why do you hate it? Goal. You hate it because it's a backup quarterback carrying a $25 million price. Tag. No, I'm going to, I'm going to, okay, there's, 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 all right. Yes. First of all, that $25 million price tag is prohibiting you from making a more complete team. And you're saying you can never have too many good, good players. Really, did you really think he was good last year? I know he was serviceable at times. He played good, but I wouldn't categorize him as a good player. So I disagree with that notion. And yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, not only does it prohibit you from making moves to bolster this team that's on the brink possibly of going a deep playoff run is for the second year in a row. But I think it kind of messes with Trey Lance's head. And I know this is where we, we differ. Uh, we talked about this and you probably said, Oh, <clears throat> they probably talked to Trey Lance. Like, Hey, don't worry. Don't worry. You know, uh, you're the starting quarterback this year. We're just figuring this thing out. Just hang tight there. But come on, man, Trey Lance, you said he's intelligent, right? You said he's smart, right? That's that narrative and that has been said before in the past and guess what you know teams lie so what happens if trey lance comes out real slow and loose loses to the bears week one not playing well and jimmy g still on the roster okay and then let's say he just is mediocre and they start off slow you don't think they're gonna you know they're gonna ride that wave out if they had jimmy g on their team that Trey Lance is always going to be looking over the backside, you know, his shoulder to see, you know, when are they going to pull me type stuff. Now, if they had Nick Mullins on there, <laughs> they ain't putting Nick Mullins out there. Come so... on, bro. Nick Mullins <laughs> is one of the greatest backup quarterbacks to ever walked the face of the earth. I, I will not have you slander uh, Nick Mullins. I disagree. It's Charlie Whitehurst, and you're 100% wrong. Clipboard Jesus. So, uh, all kidding aside, I think it, it has such a huge ripple effect for numerous reasons why this is such a detriment that Jimmy G should not be on this roster right now, and it's doing more harm than good. And I'm sorry, you're saying you can never have too many good players? 
guess what? You only can play one quarterback. You're talking to, when we're talking about Kaiser White, you, you can have multiple linebackers on the field. But the fact that there's only one quarterback that plays, so you, it's not like you can incorporate Jimmy G into the into the offense. So they both thrive. That doesn't how it works. I think this is an awful move. I think this is where they show their arrogance. And it's just crazy. This is such a stupid move because they are such smart football people. And I'm totally befuddled why they're dragging this out. Is this an emotional move? Like they can't get over this, their old ex-girlfriend here type of stuff. I just think, and this is my opinion, I think that they should have put this, they should have brought this, you know, dog out by the back of the barn. Put the the you know open up the double barrel shotgun, put the bullets in, close the shotgun, cock it, and say good night, old yellow, and put it to rest. They should they should have they should have got rid of him a while. They should have cut him a while ago. All right, so I'm gonna steal a line from you that you've said to me many of times on this show. Let me tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> so why you're wrong is because I have the utmost faith, and there are draft signals and other things that have happened along the way that signify to me that it's been clearly communicated that this is Trey Lance's job to lose. Now, let me, let me extrapolate upon that. Last year, you make the move away from Jimmy and go to Trey at any of those points in the year, that move is made. You can't go back to Jimmy unless there's an injury. Given where Trey is, given his mentality, given his lack of experience and play over the last few, if there are struggles out of the gate with a a roster that, for all intents and purposes, is built to win now, you can bridge. You can go to Jimmy for a few weeks and come back to Trey and not destroy. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. When was the last time something like that has ever worked? Doesn't ever. matter. Doesn't matter. There's a pre- there's there's a first time for everything, and I'm telling you, this is why you have to have faith in the people that you draft. And this is all about communication. This is all about behind the scenes shit that you and I are not privy to, that other people are not privy to. As long as these conversations and possibilities are being discussed, which I believe they are, it's not an issue. Here's another reason why it's not an issue. Jimmy's not that guy. Like, he's just not that guy. Like, he's not like he's not a distraction. He's a distraction because the media makes him a distraction, right? And that's what the people do. But I promise you, in that locker room, it's not a distraction. Well, now, I know Robert, I know Robert Kraft would think that you're uh that you're wrong there, that he's not a distraction. Well, <laughs> he's not he's not fucking Jed York's <laughs> wife. Like, what do you want me to tell you? So Well, you can well, you don't know what's going on behind closed doors, like you said before. <laughs> he would have been thrown. I assure you is the way the Yorks operate, he would have been long gone if that had happened. Here's here's the reality, dude. This thing will get ironed out right around camp. Injury, something along those lines, desperation. You don't know what's going to shake out in Cleveland and Baker's not there and what this Deshaun's going to look like. And then all of a sudden you get something for him. Like, I do think there's a, an element of pride here that they feel that this quarterback's valued. They think his record speaks for itself. And they're not necessarily just willing to part with nothing. They wanted right. to get something. I want I want a, a, a Weston Smith prediction right here. Jimmy, what happens with Jimmy G? This offseason. Is he cut? Is he traded? I think he's cut through camp. 
when they realize the market's not necessarily there for them and they're just like, it's time. I, I think, I don't think, I think if you held on this long, you might as well, my personal opinion is if you held on this long, you might as well hang on through the season. Cause you never know what's going to happen. You at least have till week six in trade deadlines. Um, and then you're on the hook for the salary anyway. And that makes them tradable. What makes them not tradable in the beginning is like, that's a really big contract and there's a lot of uncertainty. So like that lowers the sex appeal, the injury that kind of like, not that the injury came out of nowhere, but the surgery came out of nowhere. Like guys still got to pass a physical and people are forgetting this fact, Lou, is that everybody's like 25 million in savings, 25 million in savings. That's actually a false number. And it's false because given the surgery, should he not pass a physical, which he wouldn't post surgery, there's an injury guarantee in that if you cut him, that's to the tune of like $8 million. So yeah, so it's $17 million savings, right? Like it's still a significant amount of money, but it's not what people think it is. Um, like that's just the the number when you go to like over the cap and look at it, but that's not actually the reality given the scenario. Regardless, they can, they, they, can, they can use all the money they can. Sure right could. Now. Sure could. I won't even dispute that. What I'm telling you is this will probably shake out in camp in, in some way, shape or form. But why I'm not worried about it is partly because I foresaw this happening, right? So mentally, I'm already prepared and equipped for it. And I do think there's some justification there. The only, ju- the only, the only thing that makes it justifiable is these conversations have to be taking place. And I have to assume that they are evident by, again, everybody's looks good and everybody's the best player in the world and everybody's the best leader in the world in May and June and in July, before you get to camp and the pads get on, I get all of that, but they all talk about Trey. They all talk about how special he is, how he's acting and carry himself as a leader. Nothing, nothing that I hear or see gives me any indication that this dude is self-conscious or is in his own psyche about like, who's going to be here and who's not going to be here. You want to know who he cares? Who's going to be here is number 19 going to be here. That's helpful. Is 85 going to be helpful, healthy all year. That's helpful. You know what I mean? Maybe what does my old line look like? That would be helpful. That's the, I'm, I'm telling you, dude's not even worried about 10 and there's no reason he should be. All right. So I want to make that transition uh, going from, uh, from one starting quarterback to your next starting quarterback before, you know, when the draft <clears throat> last year uh, took place, uh, you were hyperventilating and you were on a ledge and saying, you know, nervous about Mac Jones was that pick that you gave up that much capital for Mac Jones. And we've talked numerous times and the thought process was it had to be Trey Lance. Shouldn't have been Justin Fields. Shouldn't have been Mac Jones. It had to be Trey Lance. Just the, his, just the, his tangibilities, his height, uh, his, his speed, his strength, uh, his arm, he just, he, it just was, that had to be the guy. Right. Yep. And all of a sudden now there's a boatload of things coming out with, you know, with Trey Lance, this negative media cloud with Trey Lance. Why is that? Why is there so many doubters with Trey Lance? What you, is what it, you- is it because, there's not so Jimmy many doubters. G- There's one or two that are just really loud and very vocal. That's from the local media, okay? And yeah. Like and the lo- like the local perception. There's also on that the national media. Is it is the fact that Jimmy G is still on the roster? 
you know, people are just basically trying to connect dots here. Like he's still on the roster, so they must not believe in Trey Lance. Or is is when there's smoke, there's fire type of thing. So what's your thought process? Why is there so many doubt this doubting narrative about Trey Lance? It's it's either doubting or praising season. Um, and hey, you got to sell clicks, you got to get paid, you got to do those things. So you got to write things that. But this has been going on for a little bit, though. Yeah, um, a little bit. Listen, I think it's the uncertainty. It's the unknown, right? That it's you could point in either direction, you know, like somebody could sit here and tell you that he has the capability of being easily the best quarterback in this draft, that draft class. They'd be right. They could tell you that he could be the worst quarterback in that draft class. They could potentially be right as well, right? Like there's a lot of uncertainty based on the competition that he played against in college, how far he's removed from playing, like lack of playing time, all those other quarterbacks that you mentioned, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, I'll do you one two better in Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, they all saw a lot of time last year. They all saw a lot of time. Trey didn't. So it's still the unknown is what scares people, right? The the change is what scares people. But this is actually what excites me. Let me tell you, I'm going to be as real with you as possible. Week in and week out, we talked about the 49ers and Jimmy G and, and whatever, right? Like we always covered the games. We always recap the games. And more often than not, we were talking about Bonehead play here that might have cost the game. You know, when he manages the game, he manages it really well. We do really well, but that's coming off a run game. But does, is he out there like winning games? No, he's out there managing us to a win, right? Like he's not Rodgers. He's not Mahomes. He's not those things. So I don't have to see much to feel pretty darn confident that at the very least, Trey could be that. At the very least, like I don't have to see. So you're comfortable with him managing a game with the three first round draft picks that you gave up? For? No, 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 no. I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not saying that. And my excitement level expects more than that. What I'm saying is the bar has been set so low. If the, yeah, well, not so low, but if the floor is Jimmy stats, I mean, dude. We played in the NFC Championship last season, and two years before that, we played in the Super Bowl, right? So, like, the roster is equipped to support it. He doesn't have to be in his first full years as a starter. He doesn't have to be Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't have to be Patrick Mahomes. He doesn't have to equate to what Justin Herbert is. If he does, sky's the limit. You know what I mean? The sky's the limit. I'm just saying, like, I don't need to see a 17 game sample to feel confident that at the very least he can do what's been done for us over the last few years. And that's been done by like a coach scheming and doing those sort of things. If you give somebody that has you meant a bigger arm, more mobility, a lot of other things like younger might be more willing to take a risk and try to fit something in. Like, I mean, Brett Favre made a career out of it, right? Like making throws that most people wouldn't even attempt, but he was like, F it, I'm going to sling it. Sometimes it worked out, sometimes it didn't. Dude threw the most touchdowns, also threw the most interceptions at one point in his career, right? But he's a Hall of Famer. Um, Like it's when you're not this like crazy, crazy veteran and you're like, you feel like you got things to prove, you'll take some, some chances. I mean, Justin Slayer is a gun. I'm um, Justin Herbert's a gun slinger too. Right. And that's the oh, yeah, young, yeah, yeah. like he's not going to attempt some of these throws when he's 31, 32, 33 and talking about his legacy and things of that nature. It's just different. Um, 
I don't to, to answer your question. I just think it's too he's too easy of a target because of the unknowns where it's, hey, pick your poison and what narrative you want to talk about. Right. Like, I it's can just I can, it's just weird because I feel like Justin Fields doesn't get this this criticism. And I remember, Justin Fields said the NFL is easy, like after like the, you know, after a couple you know preseason games. Uh, Zach, Zach Wilson doesn't get this criticism. Trevor Lawrence doesn't get this. Like, where is this? It's just, I'll tell you where it comes from. Bears are ass. Jets are ass. Jaguars are ass. No expectations. When you suit up for the San Francisco 49ers. That's a lot of ass. <laughs> championships are the expectation. Like, regardless of, I mean, dude, we had some really piss poor seasons, right? But the problem with the fan base being as large as it is and the media coverage being a large of as it is, a lot of it is just uneducated, in my opinion, you know, and there's just certain expectations that some teams carry that other teams don't. It's just right. it's just the way it goes. I got a little Sophie's choice right here. I just thought of this question right now off the top of the head. Right. What would you what would you consider a, a bigger success? Trey Lance balls out. You guys missed the playoffs by a game or two. Or Trey Lance is mediocre and you guys make the playoffs. And you go like a, a and you go like kind of like you had the run. You just uh, did. <laughs> That's a good one, right? That's a real good one, actually. Because, yeah. The, the fan in me wants to say the latter has a mediocre year and we go on an NFC championship run because that just means I get to watch more football of my team, right? Like, and that at the end of the day, as a fan, that's what I'm here for. I just want to watch as many games as possible of my team in a season, and I want the season to last as long as it possibly can. Internally, it bodes much better if he has tremendous success and balls out and it feels like it's sustainable and not a one-hit wonder because we have seen what really good quarterback play can do for teams, right? Like it can, like I would argue that the Packers for years have been a mediocre football team outside of having arguably the best quarterback in the league under center that has made them competitive. Like if, if Aaron Rodgers wasn't the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers right now, that entire NFC North is up for grabs. Up, up for grabs, but the fact that he is, it's the Packers' division to lose, right? Like, so if we're talking about like that type of perf- not Aaron Rodgers, like comparing to Aaron Rodgers, but we're talking about that level of performance, that means much more for next year, the following year, the year after, because you build your team differently, right? Yeah, I think I think you hit hit the nail on the head right there. I think I would rather not make the playoffs knowing the fact that like, Hey, we got the, we got, it's an answer. It's, it's, you know, it's edge in stone. We got our future quarterback. Right. And what that does, it it makes you rest assured. And also it becomes a little more attractive for free agents, free agents. Yeah. Think about in the, in the future, uh, you know, when you guys uh, do eventually, if you guys don't decide to resign Jimmy G after this year, uh, for a free agency, yeah, people will come, uh, t- you know, to your to your team if your quarterback is good. Look what happens with Josh Allen and the Buffalo yep. Bills. No one wanted to come to Buffalo during that that hiatus when they couldn't find a quarterback. Now Buffalo's a great destination. Von Miller, 
uh, and a bunch of other guys. So totally agree. Yeah, I just think I th- at I think our the, age, I, think, I just think going to the playoffs would be so short sighted and like a, 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 a totally type agree. Of, uh, success. Totally agree. Um, when you have the quarterback position answered, playoffs are attainable that's 15 every single years, year. That's 15 Ex- years you don't have to worry Ex- about shit. Exactly. But at our age, Lou, in full transparency, we ne- I'm not 24 anymore where I think I'm going to live forever. And I'm just Do like, I have hey. 15 years left? Oh, that's yeah, a good that's over-under. What I'm, uh, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't know how many more of these seasons I get. So while I get them, I'm just focused on 2022, right? Like, I'm not even worried about 2023. I mean, the way these some of these games go, I'm surprised I don't have four heart attacks in the middle of the game. Um, all right. Oh, re- relax, man. As a Chargers yeah. fan, I, I, I get it. I, I'm like Chris Farley in that bear skit. <laughs> Every night, <laughs> that piece of brat stuck in my throat. Okay. The bears. The bears. All right. So let's talk about the other lingering issue here. Um, that I told not, you. That, I, I will let you go. This is that I to- nauseum. This is. I know, but I told you this was going to happen too. I actually asked you to like share my tweet out just to get more visibility on it because I wanted to be out there before all of the pundits were out there as somebody who watches their team and gets no fanfare. Um, but I, I like to think I know a little bit about what I'm talking about. It's the Debo scenario. So again, called this. But when I called it, it was far less about this media notion of Debo wanting to leave and much more about it's a ridiculous it's going to be a ridiculous wide receiver market this year people are going to get paid and the 49ers were faced with a decision um they know it's the time to sign and his value was at an all-time high based off of that i mean dude the season he had is like once in a lifetime right like if if anybody if any 49er fan expects him to replicate what he did last season again you're naive like, that's really difficult. Same with Cooper Cup. What he did last season, like, you think you're going to get that every year? That's naive. Those are once-in-a-lifetime type seasons for these types of players. So, 49ers, you know, what? what's the old thing? Like, buy low, sell high, right? Like, you turn a second-round draft pick into multiple first-round picks, that's a win all day. That's a win all day, especially if you feel like you can replicate that. So, that's why I said, don't be surprised if you hear trade speculation around Debo Samuel, were those, those word for word, were those not my words? I It's up on uh, our Instagram page at WTF pod NFL. Go check there us go. out. There you go. <laughs> Shameless plug there. Right? There we go. Like you're, you're being responsible by testing the water and see what's out there. Right? Like it's just, it's an opportunity to get cheaper maybe get multiple players that might not ever replace that production, but fill gaps in other areas. So you don't need that exact production, just so many different things. But then the narrative became Debo doesn't want to be here. And you saw all the shit about like stripping his stuff from Instagram. Um, You saw all the stuff, or you heard all the stuff about like questioning how he's being leveraged and utilized and blah, 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 blah. The why I'm, why I'm saying blah, 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 is this man coined the term wideback during the season based on his usage. He started it himself, right? Nobody else gave him that moniker. He came out and said it. I assure you when the ball was in his hands and he was producing, he was plenty fine with it. But come contract time now, right, where it's time to get paid, you think about it. You think about what running backs get paid. 
you think about longevity of running backs and you think like, eh, maybe I should just play wide receiver. Maybe I get 10 years out of this league versus three and a half or four years out of this league. And that's his agent in his ear as well. And, and him becoming more mature and a professional and seeing what's going on around him. I was never really, I shouldn't say that on the day of the first round of the draft. I was a little nervous. I was a yeah, little nervous that this yeah, actually were. might happen, but I never really faltered from the, I'm not that worried about this because it just, it just felt like negotiation tactics. This is what these guys do. They all negotiate now through the media, through social media. They all do stuff. It's not the first time we've seen somebody strip down their social no, media and yeah. blah, 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 blah. I don't like, think so. The Derwin James contract situation, you know, I've, that's been pretty amicable. No. Uh, I, I just hate the fact when, you know, player. listen, I get your Kyler Murray and your Debo Sam. I just hate when they go, when they strip 100%. down that, that Instagram shit. And I just feel like that's such like a, a high school girl back in the day for those who used to be on AOL Instant Messenger. You put that, that ominous, uh, you know, quote, away message. Uh, yeah, about like, you know, if you want to love someone, start loving yourself. Or, <laughs> that's what that fucking, that's I fucking hate. Uh, I've, I've probably fucking, seen 10 of those in my life. I fucking hate when the hey, players listen. do that. Me too. You, and you, fight don't have, in the, you fight on the phone. Don't do yeah. it. Like, it's stupid. You don't have to agree with the tactic, but it's a tactic nonetheless. And why it's, you know, you and I grew up in a different area, dude. Like, no, like literally you just mentioned AOL instant messenger. That was our version of social media when we were growing up. Right. And even before that, when we were NFL fans, there was no such thing as social media. So I'm sure some of this shit was going behind on behind the scenes and, and being disgruntled, but nobody knew about it because there wasn't access to it. There wasn't way to expose it. And I assure you back in the late eighties and early nineties, if there was social media, you'd see more of this, right? It's just agents, in their ear, like, I know how you get paid. I know how you get disgruntled. I know how you do all those things. But all of this, do I do I firmly believe that Debo wants to be used more as a wide receiver than a running back and that wide back? Yeah, I believe that. Do I believe he was unhappy a little bit with his usage? Yeah, but I also know he's competitive and he wants to win. Do I believe he wants to get paid a lot of money? Yeah, as he should, right? So all those things factor in. But I don't believe for one single second that he actually wanted out. Dude, players like playing for Kyle Shanahan. Like, and that's okay. all that it comes down to. I don't think he wanted out for a single second. And I'll okay, tell you but, why in a second, but I'll let you go. I'm going to, well, mine, it's interesting. Yes, I do think, you know, play, offensive players do love playing for Kyle Shanahan. Do you think if Debo was to go to a different team, he would be as successful as he is with the Niners? No. I don't think so either. I don't think no. so either. Listen, the stuff that he doesn't want to do is the stuff that just gave him his all pro once in a lifetime year. And I get why he doesn't want to do it. I, do, I, I think if he went and played with like Aaron Rodgers or somebody like that, like there's going to be but, a lot of production, but I but think the Kyle Shanahan that, knows the two, the two teams that are flirting with him, the jets, no, the lions. No, yeah. no, no, like, no, like you go there to get paid and you know what you go there and get paid. You get one contract. You stay with this team and get paid and, strive towards that that production you just had you get two maybe even three big contracts out of that so like again i don't believe for a single second that you know i dude the narrative got so crazy like oh he's from south carolina he wants to come back home and play with the carolina panthers and blood you know the 
the property taxes and blah, blah, blah in California and the income tax and blah, blah, blah. Like, dude, shut the fuck up. Like this dude's going to make game changing lifetime money. Like you think he's worried about like an extra mil here or there. Like that's literally the type of money he's going to make. It's not the end of the world when it comes to, to that stuff. And you only get one shot to do this and you got to go to the team. Like, and then the other thing about like, doesn't want to be here. Okay. Whatever. The same agent that represents Debo Samuel also represents AJ Brown, Terry McLaurin and DK Metcalf. AJ Brown got traded. Terry McLaurin's holding out and not showing up to voluntary camp. He's, he's about to get a saying sign, which would be awful for you guys if he does. Yep. DK is about to get is holding out, right? And the, listen, they'll all be re-signed. And like, yeah, sometimes you want to be first to the punch, but there's some other deals that have happened along the way that are starting to set markets. Like Debo wants to be paid like a wide receiver. The best wide receiver in football last year, Cooper Cup. He didn't break the bank. You know, and like he made money that, but like he ain't setting he ain't reset in the market. So there's a precedent. So this thing, but where I was going with that point is one traded two holding out from camp to make their point. Debo is at camp. In fact, he was running aggressively on the sideline. I don't think he should step on the field until he has a contract. Let's not be foolish, right? He pops a fucking Achilles, you know, then he's making his injury guarantee for the year. And then he's got to go sweat it out through the final year of his contract. Cause ain't nobody giving him money coming off of that. Like, so that's a responsible decision. Mm-hmm throwing the ball with Kyle Shanahan's kid on the sideline. He's got the playbook in his hands, right? Like somebody who wants out of there in this league filled with divas and me, me, me personalities. They don't do that, bro. They're at home. They're training. I don't want to say they're at home. These all guys, they work out. They take care of themselves. They do that. He's just doing it away from camp. No, so this is me- the, this is the boomer in you, man. What you're not understanding. There's no more holdouts. Because they cost you money. Now they're called hold ins. And they you show up, but you really don't practice. All right. You just said there's no holdouts. I'm just telling you, Terry McLaurin and DK Metcalf are not there and it's costing them money, represented by the same agent. So Debo's smart, right? Like, I don't want to cost myself money because if this contract doesn't get done, I'm only making like two and a half million dollars or whatever it is this year. I can't have eight hundred thousand of it pulled away from me because I didn't go to camp. Like so there's a prudent responsible here, but at the end of the day, he knows he's going to get signed. So, and most of these teams, they waive that shit. Cause you resign the contract, right? Like it's all a threat. It's all those things. So I think it gets, I, I get, I, it gets ironed out. Um, it'll be fine. He'll be a 49er for a while. You know, everybody in every from Kyle to what I love, what Kyle said about this in the media the other day, He's like, I don't worry about what you guys write and print and do all that. When I think of my relationships with people, I think about the conversations we have, how that person feels about me and how I feel about them and trust that I love Debo Samuel, right? Like it's going to get done. Now, the issue that I have here, and this is the same issue that I, with the 49ers is Parag Math, our, our, our CFO, essentially like our finance guy. He's a stingy negotiator, and we do tend to rub some of our own players the wrong way with initial, like George Kittle. Like, he's the highest-paid tight end in football. But the initial contract, dude, they called it Bloody Sunday, right? Like, because it was bad, the initial contract. It was almost, like, offensive, and I hate that we do that. But we pay our players. Trent Williams, highest-paid left tackle in the NFL. Fred Warner, highest-paid linebacker in the NFL. George Kittle, highest-paid tight end in the NFL. Kyle Juszczyk, highest paid 
I mean, shit, he's probably making more than half the running backs in the league, the highest paid fullback in the NFL. Jimmy Garoppolo making $25 million. He'll be the highest paid backup quarterback in the NFL. Nick Bosa is going to break the fucking bank and be the highest paid defensive end in the NFL. Like, we pay the players. But I think this situation is actually benefiting the 49ers by it playing out the way it did to the tune of a couple million dollars a year on what Debo will agree to versus the initial sentiment of like, Got to give him $30 million a year like Tyreek Hill got. Got to give him 26 or $27 million a year like Devontae got because it was next guy. Now that a couple other people, depending upon like what this McLaurin or even DK contract looks like, if they're less than those, then the precedent is set. The A.J. Brown was actually in our favor, right? What was that, $22 million a year? Something like that? That was closer to $25, I'm not mistaken. Either way, it's not $30 million, right? Like in that couple million dollars... Um, that helps. So, but to me, the Debo thing was the bigger thing, right? Like was the bigger distraction. Cause this guy who just had this unbelievable season, all of a sudden wants to be gone. Like yeah. what's really going on behind the scenes. And I think what was going behind the scenes is just a lot of smoke and mirrors. Um, and he'll be a 49er. All right. Well, from that serious conversation, I got one last question. Then I'll ask you for a record prediction. And this one, you want to talk about throwing curveballs. This is a knuckle curveball. So he better sit up, you know, tight, you know, focus in here. I, Weston, I want your top five hated villains in the NFC. It could be, you could all reside in the West if you want, but here are, name me five players or coaches as a 49ers fan that you hate going into this season. So not teams, players or coaches. It could be players or coaches, not teams. Teams would be too easy, bro. I know. Way too easy. I was like, come on, guys. You don't have to rank Uh, them. It doesn't have to be in any particular order. I'm not asking you. I'm putting you on the spot here. Number one, Aaron Rodgers. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Jimmy G. Number one is Aaron Rodgers. I'm confident in that number one. I can't stand the individual. I respect the hell out of him, dude. And he's so good and he's so talented. But you said villain. Hate him. Yeah. Actually. Let me let me take a step back because he actually hasn't taken a snap for the team just yet. So he's a former NFC player for a lifetime. Number one is Russell Wilson. Um, A, he was a 49er killer. B, he's the corniest motherfucker walking the face of the earth in professional sports. Number two would be Aaron Rodgers. Number three, unequivocally, Aaron Donald. Now I'm trying to stay in the NFC and think off the top of my head. Villains. You got Dallas. You got Philly. None of them worry me. You know what I mean? Like, I love playing Dallas. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, they don't don't give me pause for concern. You got got, got Sean McVay. I'm not trying to help you out here. Actually, yeah, yeah. Um, Sean McVay, for sure. Um, and I would throw and P Carroll. No, because I actually really do like P Carroll. Like I do a lot. Um, there's another one I'm shocked you're not saying, but I'll let you proceed. So I love P Carroll because the last time we won a Super Bowl, he was our defensive coordinator. So yeah. how can I be mad at a man like that? And how can you be mad at the oldest coach in the NFL running around like he's the youngest coach in the NFL up and down the sideline? Like mm-hmm. I'm gel. I hope I'm as active as he is at his age. Um. I don't know, man. Like, I just, I love football. I don't hate many. 
You said it has to be the NFC, right? Yeah, NFC. So I can't say Tua? No. Um, God. I hate to give you this answer. Bobby Wagner? Okay. Okay, I'll take that. I thought you'd go Jalen Ramsey. No, I don't hate Jalen Ramsey. I don't. Um, He doesn't. You know what's funny about this? And don't take like he's a phenomenal player. We both had him ranked as our number one defensive back uh, going mm-hmm. into last season. Like he's a stud. I, I shit, I loved him when he was in Jacksonville, and I didn't have to deal with him. Like it makes it a little bit more painful. But dude, he doesn't like shut down the 49ers. Like the Rams in general. Like we've had their number yeah. for the last few years, right? And he he takes away a side of the field and he can follow a number one, et cetera. But this team has been built on like, not tradi- like even Demo Debo Samuel, the year he had, he's not like a number one wide receiver, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's a, like a gimmick player, essentially that yeah. you get open and do those sort of things. So like that limits the effect that Jalen has against, against us. So, okay. Um, okay so yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Let's spit it again. So your top five hated villains in the Russell NFC. Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, um, Sean McVay, Bobby Wagner, and what was the other one that I Aaron Donald. Okay. There it is. There it is. All right, real quick, record prediction. And would it your record prediction and would that you constitute that as a success? I'm not asking you to look for the schedule or anything like that. What's your knee jerk? Because we'll go th- through that like as, as the offseason goes on. Knee 10 jerk, and 7. Re- is that a success? Uh, well, it depends on the question you asked me before. Does that get you into the playoffs or does that is that mean that Trey ball down and the, you got 10 yeah. wins? In the NFC, it gets you into the playoffs. Yeah. So, yeah. You always have to look at it. Like, you just got to get in. Yep. Just got to get right. in, and then whatever happens, you know. Well, those are my. What about questions. you for the Chargers? I didn't ask you a, a record prediction. I'd like to end with that. Ten and seven. I, lo- I, I went through their schedule before. I got success on or not success? It all depends if that's. A, <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna. It was an imitation is the best form of flattery. That flattery, type of. Yep. Sh- so, um, if it gets to the playoffs, yeah, and I just think I don't know if it gets them to the playoffs because that AFC is insane, man. So I think it's different for you versus the question that you asked for me. Like, you know, you have the answer at quarterback. So now it's about so maximizing yeah. the rookie contract. I personally to the think if I'm answering that question, the, the only way, and you might be thinking this is a little too crazy for me. The only way I think the season is a success for the Los Angeles chargers is if they make a deep run to the playoffs and not just a one and done. If they get, at least to get to the second round of the playoffs and play good in the second. You have to but bare minimum second round yeah. of the playoffs for Los Angeles Chargers Need for to it get, to be deemed to consider a success. got to get one playoff win so you can stop this shit about Justin Herbert that he doesn't get him to the playoffs and he doesn't win playoff games. Like You just got to like almost get that monkey off the back um, and, and move, but I think you have a lot to be excited about. So either way, Lou, that wraps us up. I think we did a, a pretty – Good job considering yeah, this was, an hour and 45 minutes just knocking the dust off with like very limited. And the thing is, with uh, a lot of this was anything. Not, yeah, we, we, yeah, I was gonna say this was all free form. This was just yeah. shooting from the hip and just trying to get back into the swing of things. I think we did just that, um, especially halfway through till the end. I think we got real comfortable real fast and we'll be back in, in short order. 
Uh, we got a couple things that we're working on and, you know, to kind of fill the gaps before we get into like mandatory camps and all of those things, OTAs and all that stuff that's going to be coming up. So Lou, a pleasure getting back on the horn with you, man. Look forward to doing it again real soon. All right. Oh, t- yeah, dude. dude. Oh, wow. Jesus. Wow. Lou, please, please, please correct Jesus. my mistake. Fucking amateur hour out here. All right. So what Weston meant to say, Lou, tell, <laughs> tell the, the great listeners where you can follow us at WTF Pod NFL on Instagram and Twitter. And then I would say, hey, Weston, tell where they can find our YouTube page and subscribe. We're talking football. It's that simple, that easy on YouTube. Subscribe, hit the likes. Um, you'll, you'll be notified when the new content comes up. Uh, since we haven't been on the air in a while, I'll remind everybody that I told Lou if we got to 500 followers by the end of 2022, I would take them out to a very expensive dinner. I'm I'm actually extending that another year. I think the original goal is by the end of 2021. We I'm going to give it another I'll, year. I'll be I'm going to say I'll be lucky if I get my ass a red lobster with you. <laughs> hey, great cheddar biscuits. Great cheddar biscuits. Bro, the all you can eat seafood platter. Wash that down, baby. I'm, I'm good big to go. seafood guy. I'll, well, then I'm sorry to hear that. You could sit in the parking lot and I'll bring you out my scraps. Uh, all right. That wraps us up, my man. Always a pleasure. Uh, Looking forward to doing it again real soon. Take it easy.